get the opportunity, the blessing. Uh, I try to think of something clever, but the only thing that I can think of is his name. Shoot, if I could be Ricky King, I'd be Ricky King. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not. I'm Ricky Long. But I get to introduce you to you, uh, Mike King, the man. He's super tall, super good looking. Uh, he, he, he cuts the grass with his dog. Uh, that's pretty cool, too. Um, I saw that picture and I had to say something. So uh, it's just picture this guy. Riding a lawnmower with a little pug. That's awesome. I'm just saying, man. Come on. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to be here, Pastor Tom. And just uh, share this message. You know, this has been on my heart for a couple years now. And um, now is the time. So God uh, gave me permission to move forward and share these things with you guys, so I want to be obedient um, and do that. Uh, So before we jump in, let me just say a quick prayer here. God, uh, just thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to come here um, and just be real. I just pray that, uh, you know, some some doors would be broken down today, Lord, that some people would be uh, free from oppression or, you know, the things that they've been wrestling with, Lord, in a room like this, we know that uh, there are people that are going through things, whether they whether they want to act like they're not. Um, so I just pray that uh, their hearts and their minds would be open to what you've given me to share today and, and that these would be your words. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, guys, well, um, man, I got a lot to go over, so I'm just going to get right into it, so no funny jokes from me or or anything like that, but I do want to start by asking you a question, and this is something that really has sustained me for, man, a a long time, and I'm not talking days, I'm not talking weeks, I'm talking months, not talking months, I'm talking years, and that question is, do you want to be right, or do you want relationship? And uh, one of my lowest points, God came to me and he asked me that question. Um, And that's kind of how I want to frame this talk today. A little scripture for you, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems to be right to a man, but in the end, that way is death. Uh, And I lived this, and um, it, it almost killed me and killed the one thing that I wanted more than anything growing up, and that was uh, to have a good marriage and a family of my own, and we'll get into this here a little bit, but um, quick praise in October. Me and my wife, we're going to be celebrating 14 years of marriage. Amen. Um, But depending on which one of you uh, you ask, um, whether me or her, we'd say 11 or 12 of those years, to be honest with you guys, um, they're kind of a living nightmare. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain why that was. Uh, but I want to ask you another question here, and this one's kind of rhetorical. Um, and I know we got guys that are all at different phases of, of their lives in here. So for the married guys, the question is, what lies have you allowed into your marriage? And for the unmarried guys, the question is, what lies are you willing to bring into your marriage? You see, these lies that we as guys come to believe about ourselves, about others, 
about the world around us. Um, they grow from the wounds we experience uh, growing up. And when we leave those things unchecked, they ultimately lead us to compromise. It's, it's a given. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of, of when. And I don't care who you are. It happens to every man. And you've got a decision to make. And that decision is, am I going to go back and am I going to deal with and face those wounds so that I don't carry them forward, so I don't pass those out to my kids? Or am I just going to keep lying to myself and say things like, oh, it doesn't matter. Figure it out. It'll be all right. And just keep on keeping on with the ways of the world. So let me give you some examples here. Uh, my biggest wound growing up was my dad leaving. Um, and I'm not going to go into all that. Some of you guys know my story. Uh, some of you don't. I grew up without a father. He was in prison like three times before I was 10. Um, and then he took off. Um, and that was really difficult for me. Uh, and then he kind of came back into my life. And then there was a series of events happened. And then when I was 23, he passed away from cancer. Uh, so growing up from that, uh, that allowed two, lie, two lies to take place in my life. The first lie that I believed was I couldn't tell the truth to myself, let alone others, because I didn't want them to leave me like my father. You see, because I figured if I spoke up and I said how I felt about something or about a situation or about someone, that they would leave me, and I would feel that rejection and that abandonment again. And I, it played out in so many areas of my life. Uh, and I became a people pleaser because I figured that if I did whatever people wanted, that they wouldn't have a reason to leave me, and that I wouldn't feel that feeling again. So, you know, I told lie, I, I I built on that lie. So when I would feel an emotion and I'd be and I'd want to speak up, I would bury that and I would say, oh, it'll be all right. I'm just going to let it go. It's okay. Doesn't matter. Move on. Things like that. But there's some things that, that need to be addressed as men and we need to reject that passivity that comes with that and, and face that head on. So I was in eighth grade. Uh, trying to play basketball. Um, I don't know. I don't even know. Yeah, I guess. So you may or not may not know this. Uh, I guess one of my small claims to fame is um, I played a little semi-pro basketball. I actually signed a contract to go play with the Harlem Globetrotters, um, but I ended up turning that down uh, just because it wasn't the right time in my life, and there were some other things that I was dealing with uh, that I need to get right. Um, but back in eighth grade, I was horrible at basketball. I was the worst. I thought I was the worst. I, just put it this way. This is how bad it was. We had tryouts, and there was A and there was a B team. And the coach made me play this other kid for the last position or the last spot on the A team. It was one-on-one, -on -one and it was sudden death. And I was just lucky enough to have the ball first. So, you know, I get the ball and I just drive right because I have no left hand like most kids in, in junior high. And he's pushing me. And so I spin 
and not even knowing where I am, I throw up some crazy behind the back Michael Jordan shot. And this ball hits the top of the backboard and bounces down through the rim and I score the bucket. So I jump up, I'm screaming, can't believe that I made the basket. And this kid who was way better than me is on the floor crying because now he's not gonna be on the A team. Well, it all worked out for him because he went to star on the B team and I went to ride pine on the A team and get screamed at for every mistake that was made, whether I was in the game or not. So, um, but I say that uh, because we were out in Holland, man, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday, and uh, it was the end of the game, I was gonna get my little three minutes of, of scrub time, and I looked up, and I saw somebody in the stands that I didn't see before, and it was my dad, and I hadn't seen him, and I couldn't tell you how many years, and something just came alive in me. And I was like, this is my shot, right? This is my shot to prove to my dad that I'm worthy to make him desire to be around me, to choose me. So come in the game, and, you know, I'm, I'm a terror. I'm like half Dennis Rodman, jump, diving for balls that you can't even save getting rebounds, trying to score every point that I can, just a, a terror for three minutes. And um, after the game, we're walking back to the bus, and uh, my mom and my dad are with me, and I'm crying. And my dad, he comes alongside of me, and he looks down and he says, why are you crying? It's just a game. And you see... I couldn't speak up for myself at that time because I bought into that lie that what I had to say didn't matter. But what I was feeling on the inside is I just wanted my dad to tell me that he was proud of me. And I figured that if I played with all my heart and gave everything that I had inside of me, that I would make my dad proud and that he wouldn't leave again. So really... I had a fear of rejection and abandonment, and that caused the desire for me to control because I wasn't going to let anyone hurt me like that again. And uh, we'll talk about how I carried that on here in a little bit throughout the rest of my life. The second lie that I bought into uh, out of uh, my father wound was I had to take care of myself, and I was the only one who could meet my needs. Um, and the, the devil has a really funny way of when he gives you these lies, feeding into them uh, and, and adding on to them. And, you know, we had a, we just had a dysfunctional house growing up. You know, my mom's a single mom. She's trying to raise three kids. I'm the oldest of three kids. She's working two, sometimes three jobs, just trying to put food on the table, uh, you know, and, and, and substitute that with food stamps and the government stuff, you know, the cheese and the peanut butter and all that stuff that they, they give you and just try to try, try to make ends work, um, running herself ragged to support herself and her family. And out of that, you know, there was a lot of opportunities for her not to be around and for me to, when I wasn't taking care of my brother and sister, to just kind of run the neighborhood and see what I could, what I could get myself into. And uh, because I had this wound inside of me and this desire really to be chosen, guys, that led me into sexual compromise. 
Um, and I was 14 when I decided that I was, that was the road that I was going to choose. That was the way that I was going to go to take care of myself and to get my needs met. And I lit that fire, not knowing what that would do and the repercussions of that. You see, because growing up, no one ever told me the truth about that. They just said, you don't have sex before you're married because the Bible says so. Okay, and I was always that kid in class. Why? Why? Not because I knew better than them, because I'm naturally curious. I want to know, why are you telling me this? Like, why, why shouldn't I? Like, make a case for it. But no one ever would. They just say, you just don't do it. So I'm like, all right. I'll just find out myself. So go down uh, that road. Um, can you throw up picture one, please? Uh, so this is a picture from uh, when me and my wife uh, were dating. I think we were on like a Ferris wheel in Chicago uh, when I took this. Um, so that compromise, those two things, those two lies that I believed, uh, that I buried and refused to think about, refused to deal with, followed me into my life. And actually, before I met my wife, uh, I was engaged, um, and I thought that I was going to marry this girl. And um, to be honest with you, I was just, I was just under a spell, guys, um, because I wasn't doing right. I mean, this girl was attractive and. I was going back to my sexual compromise, and that's really all I cared about. And she was meeting that, and even though everything else wasn't right, I was willing to compromise my life and possibly my future because of that one thing. And thank God I had some guys in my life who came alongside of me, and they said, what are you doing? You're going to marry this girl? Really? You're a walking zombie. And they slapped me around and woke me up. Um, and I, I broke that off, or I thought I broke that off. And I started to date my wife. Well, we own this house together, me and this, this, other, uh, this other woman, uh, because we were going to get married and we were going to move into it. So even though I had broken that relationship off, we still had this one thing in our lives that was keeping us connected. And uh, one time coming back uh, from Chicago, because that's where my wife lived at the time, uh, I pulled into the driveway and she was there and she wanted to talk to me. And long story short, we ended up inside and I ended up compromising again. And I'd like to stand up here and tell you that that was the only time that that happened. But it wasn't. It actually it happened twice and almost happened a third time. And the crazy thing about, I mean, women just have this, they just have this natural inclination. Like, they know when something's going on. And my wife, who at the time, we weren't even really it doesn't matter, boyfriend or girlfriend, if you want to put a title on it, but she knew something was going on, and she asked me about it. And I had a choice. I could man up, and I could tell her the truth, or I could choose to compromise again. So I compromised. 
because that's what I was used to. And I didn't tell her, and I said, nothing happened. Don't worry about it. We just talked, and she just left. She couldn't let that go. And every now and then she would ask me again, and I would lie to her again and say, nothing happened. So fast forward, uh, quick point. Finally, after the third time that that almost happened, I got out like a pen and paper and I just wrote this letter basically to God and to myself being like, why am I an idiot? Why am I doing this? I'm going to end up just like my dad, a womanizer, and, and I'm wrecking this great opportunity. And I folded this piece of paper up and I put it in the pocket of this leather jacket that I used to wear to be a reminder. Now, the letter didn't have any details. Uh, it didn't have the date on it, nothing. Uh, and it was in my pocket. So we fast forward. Me and my wife get married. And uh, she's at home cleaning the house one day. And she decides, I'm going to go in the closet. Goes in the closet. There's my leather jacket. Something tells her, go in the leather jacket. She goes in the leather jacket. What she pull out? She pulls out this letter. She reads it and immediately puts two and two together. Calls me at work, says a bunch of nasty things. I want a divorce. Uh, I want annul this marriage annulled. You lied to me. You don't love me. All these things. So obviously I'm in a panic, right? Race home run through the door, only to be met by my wife's fist. And if you know my wife, when she's mad, she don't play around. Uh, the Chicago will come out of her. And, um, you know, so she's just like, you're a liar. And she's like, I can't be with you. You, you, just, you destroyed everything, my faith in God, my faith in men. She's like, how could I be so stupid? All this. And she went and she packed all her bags and she left. She used to, we had this little red neon. She got everything and put it in there and she drove away. And I didn't know what to do, guys. I didn't know what to do. So I just fell on the floor and started to cry uh, on the second story of this house that we were living in, that house that I owned with that previous woman, the house that I had done those things and lied to about uh, to my wife. And I just cried out to God. And uh, this was the second time in my life that I heard God's voice audibly. And he said to me, he said, did you make a promise or did you make a covenant? And I said to him, I said, I made a covenant, right? Because there's a difference. A promise Something that, you know, you have good intentions of keeping and you can go back on if you choose to, if you compromise. A covenant is something that can't be broken, right? Because God is in the middle of it. And so he said, okay, if you made a covenant, follow her wherever she goes. And I'm like, this is the stupidest thing. Like, why are you telling me this? She's not even here. And guys, literally three seconds later, that car pulled back in the driveway, and my wife came through the door, and I ran downstairs, and I'm like, what are you doing back here? And she says, God told me to come back here, and I'm going to try to make this work. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but 
I'm moving back to Chicago, so if you want to come, okay. So I said, all right. I had a choice, right? I had a choice to make right there, which was, am I going to be obedient to what God had just told me to do, which was follow her wherever she went? So I made that choice. I made the right choice. Put all my stuff in storage, called my boss, was the only person I called and said, I'm not coming back to work, and left with my wife to go live in Chicago uh, uh, in this duplex with these other girls she worked with at her job that she had left before we got married. And it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. My wife was a server slash bartender at a bar uh, in Wrigleyville. Um, you know, she was never, she's not a drinker or anything, but being in that environment and being around that, um, you know, there was some, a lot of lies that, that she believed. And we went back to Chicago to try to rebuild our, our relationship. Uh, man, there's no way I'm going to get through this, but that's all right. So what I want to tell you guys is I said earlier that if, depending on who you guys ask, How many years would you say that our marriage was 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 hell? I would say 12 because those next 12 years guys as I tried to be obedient to what God told me to I'm the only the only analogy that I can that comes to my mind is like crawling over broken glass. I destroyed all faith that my wife had in me, that my wife had in men, that my wife had in uh in God. I destroyed it all. And whether that was fair or not really wasn't for me to decide. So what it looked like was I would come home from work. I got a job uh, in Chicago, and I would come home from work, and I would walk in, uh, and all her bags would be packed, and they'd be on the floor. And she'd be standing there, and she'd be like, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. And for the next two hours, I felt like I was like a, almost like a hostage negotiator. I would have to talk my wife into not leaving and explain why she should choose me and our marriage over running, over leaving and getting out of that situation that was causing her so much pressure and so much anxiety because I couldn't go anywhere. She would drop me off at work in the morning, and I worked in this office, and if she saw another woman walk in after me, triggered. And then she'd be like, what, what happened? What went on with that woman? I don't even know this woman. And then I'd come home, and then she'd have her bags packed again. And this wasn't, at the beginning, this was like a, almost a daily occurrence of dealing with this. And then because of God and God's work and, and time and me building back up that trust, that went from daily to weekly to monthly. Well, real quick, you know, when you're in that fight and you're doing those things, the devil has a way of trying to throw in a knockout punch. Uh, can you put up that second picture? Uh, go to the third, please. All right, so... This picture from our wedding, me and, I mean, the world says stepson, Anthony. 
Uh, I would never call him that. Um, he's always been my son to me. Um, but, you know, I had this seven-year-old kid in my life in this relationship. And that was part of it, too. So am I going to fight for this marriage? And am I going to fight for this kid and what he thinks of marriage and what he thinks of as a man uh, and how, what a man should do and how a man should be? Or am I going to, to be honest with you, what I thought, destroy his life by leaving, by taking the easy way out? And guys, there were, there were some days where I'm like, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I can't take it. I can't come home to this. I can't go out and act like everything's okay and put on a smiley face and be there for people when at home it's crazy. And I'm just trying to fight to survive and do what you asked me to do. And God would say, do you want to be right? Or do you want a relationship? Man, can I have both, God? No. You'd be right to leave. Be easy. Maybe find someone else. But it'd be easy for a minute. Because all that stuff that you never dealt with would come right back. All the compromise. It'd be right there again. Man, there's so much that I would want to tell you guys, um, but I want to be respectful of your time, so I'm going to wrap this up. Bring up the uh, fourth picture, please. So here's a picture from uh, me and my family went to New York. I think this was like maybe three years ago, four years ago. Got my uh, son there, my wife Jody, and then our daughter, uh, Michaela. And, um, you know, my last point to you guys would be is it is amazing what God can do with just a little seed of obedience. If you're willing to be obedient to what God is asking you, it doesn't have to be, you, it doesn't have to be right in your mind. It doesn't have to be fair. Maybe it's not fair. Maybe it's not right. But if God's asking you to do it, there's a reason for you to do it. And the only reason that this picture exists, that me and my wife are going to celebrate 14 years, that I didn't destroy my family, that I didn't destroy that woman's life, that I didn't destroy that kid's life, it's because I made that decision to be obedient. I wish I could tell you, give you some complicated formula, do this, do that, X, Y, Z. It's really that simple. Am I going to be a man, make a choice, stick to that choice, and fight every single day? So I'm going to show you guys one last thing. See, the problem is, is we, somewhere this came into culture that um, in a relationship, in a marriage, uh, that a woman cannot be a leader. But that's not true. And that's not true because 
leadership is a gifting from God, and he chooses who he's going to put that in into what degree. So women, they can be blessed with the gifts of leadership. But the difference is men have a calling on their life. In Ephesians 5.22 through 23, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So our calling as men is headship. God called us to that. And we have a choice on whether we're going to answer that calling each and every day. So to wrap this up, here's a real quick analogy of what that looks like. And I suck at drawing. Um, okay. Right? So what does headship look like? So I got this from one of my mentors, a, men, a man named Scott Prickett, who was a battle tank commander uh, in the Army. So this is an oversimplified version for any of you military guys, so don't get mad at me, but you'll see how this makes sense, right? So if this was a tank formation and they were going into battle, they would go in a straight line. Say this is a road, right? And now they're, they're going into this battle. So you have the tank commander rides in the first tank. And then you have his guys behind him in the second and the third tank. Don't miss this. The whole purpose of the tank commander being in the first tank, and he knows what he signed up for, is that when they go into battle... His sole job is to draw the fire of the enemy so that these two tanks can flank or get away. So more than likely, he's going to die at the expense of his men. Guys, this is what headship looks like. God is saying... I've called you to this position to die to yourself daily. Is it fair? I don't know. Does it seem right? I don't know. But that's what we're called to. And that's the choice that we have to make each and every day. So I just want to encourage you, if you're going through something in your marriage or in your life in a relationship with someone else? Do you want to be right? Or do you want a relationship? Let me pray. God, we just uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to share with these men uh, the words that you put on my heart. Um, and I just pray, Lord, I pray for all the families represented in this room all the marriages, Lord, all the relationships, Father God. Lord, and, and I acknowledge that it's, it's tough. It's tough being a man. It's tough being in a relationship, Father God. It's tough being in a marriage. But, Lord, you've called us to a place of headship, and you've showed us what that looks like. 
And God, I know sometimes it doesn't seem fair. Sometimes it doesn't seem right. But you're asking us, God, and you've showed us through your example with your son will we lay down our lives for those we love. Will we give up what we want, what we think we deserve for them? Will we just give it up? Will we give it to you and let you have your way, God? So just speak to the hearts and the men here, Lord, that are dealing with anything, Father God. Show them, Lord. Give them a plan, Lord. Give them the encouragement they need, Father God. Give them the peace, Lord, to walk into the fire, Father God, knowing that you're going to be there with them, Lord, and that you are the God who makes a way when there is no way, when it seems impossible, God, when we're on our knees, when we're on the floor crying out to you, saying we don't know what to do, but we need your help. You hear your sons, and you come to help. And all you ask us for is just a little obedience. Because with that obedience, you can do more than we could ever imagine. So, Lord, just be with these guys as they go out to their places of work, out in their lives, Lord. Bless them, Lord, in their relationships. Give them favor, Lord, with the people that they come and touch with and meet with, Lord. And I just pray that everything that we say and do today, Lord, would bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.